Please turn in your Gospels to Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 49. Matthew 13, 47 through 49. As we are finishing this June series on the kingdom parables of Jesus in Matthew 13, where Jesus told seven parables back to back on this is what the kingdom of God is like. We're on the very last one. It is the parable of the dragnet, and it's different from all the other parables. And here is the words of our Savior. Once again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, I am much more environmentally sensitive than I used to be when I was growing up. Uh, we would go to the beach uh, in my growing up years. We, my granddaddy had one of those old classic Toyota Land Cruisers. And we'd get in that Land Cruiser and we'd ride out on the beach and, and way out to a stretch of beach where there just wasn't a lot of other people fishing. And we'd fish in the surf. Great memories of just wonderful time with family. And we would catch fish. Catch a flounder. Well, that is some good eating right there. Fresh flounder, or maybe a redfish if it was the right time of, of season and they were running right. Maybe a bluefish is a very good fish to catch. But we also caught some other fish while we were out there. In fact, we, we caught this fish that uh, I don't know what the true name of this fish is, but it's, it was called a croaker because they make this kind of croaking sound that fish aren't really supposed to make. They are worthless, bony fish that you can't eat. Somebody admitted they ate one at the door. Uh, they didn't eat it at the door, but they admitted at the door they ate one after the first service. I said, that's like eating a possum or something. Let me tell you what you do. You, you catch the fish. If it's a flounder, it goes in the ice chest very carefully laid with ice. If it's a croaker, I would just look at it, fling it up on the beach, and it died. Not very environmentally sensitive. And then you catch a, a hardtail. Now, that just doesn't sound too appetizing, does it? And people added, it's funny, you know, you get into a second sermon, there's catfish and there's skipjacks and everything else now in this sermon that did not appear in the first sermon. But hey, you know, now I'm, I'm grown up, at least theoretically I'm grown up, and, uh, and I'm much more sophisticated than I used to be. Now I am not just a fisherman, you know what I am? I'm an angler. And I'll tell you one of the differences between an angler and a fisherman is that I now catch and release most of the fish. In fact, if I caught a croaker right now, I think I'd hold him down and resuscitate him and, and make sure he had plenty of water in his gills and so he could swim off and to croak another day. But not then, not then. It was catch them, judge them, and fling them on the beach. Every fisherman does a variation of this. You catch them, you judge them, and you sort them. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like at the end of the age. That, the, that men are the fish and they are caught, they are judged, and they are sorted. 
Now, what's different about this parable as opposed to the others is Jesus' hearers right there on the the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, was a freshwater lake. That's why some people call it the Lake of Galilee. Right there at Capernaum, they would have completely understood uh, fishing language, but they were looking for something other than what Jesus has been saying in the, in the, the former six parables. You know, they, wanted, they didn't want a farmer sowing seed and how long it takes for the kingdom to come, how quiet it is. Even if it's a mustard seed, the smallest seed, it does grow into a big tree, but, but there's kind of this elongated nature of, of what the kingdom of God looks like. No, no, we got the Romans down with their feet on our neck. Jesus, what we need you to do is bring the kingdom now with final irreversible, irrevocable power. This parable, finally at the end of all the parables of the quiet expansion of the kingdom like leaven in dough, like seeds growing, this is the parable where it is final, undeniable power, and irreversible in its judgment. This is the shock and awe that John the Baptist foretold Son of Man would return with a sickle and he would put some in the barn and burn up others in unquenchable fire. Catching, judging, and sorting. First, Jesus talks to us about how the kingdom of God is like catching fish. Verse 47, once again, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake. They were right there on the Sea of Galilee. They understood nets. Now, it's fascinating as you do your research about fishermen and the way the fishing industry and the way people fished at that time. There are basically three different ways people fished at that time. The first way would be kind of like what we call angling. Jesus, in fact, in John 17, told one of the disciples, he said, I want you to go out to the lake. I want you to take a hook, throw the hook out, And when you catch a fish, and when the Son of God tells you to throw the hook out, you're going to catch a fish every time. And when you catch that fish, pull it up. The fish will have a coin in its mouth. Take the coin out of the mouth. Pay the temple tax. They would would all understand, oh yeah, that's how you fish. Just like today, with, with a line and a hook. But that's not the only way that the Gospels teach us that fishing happened. In Matthew 4, 18, when Jesus was was first calling Andrew and Peter, it says that they... They called them and, and, and they were, quote, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. This is not a line and a hook. This is what's called a cast net. Now, I actually learned to do that when I was a boy as well. It's just a small net with, with small weights on it. And you kind of put it in layers around your shoulder because you're, you're trying to see that net open up piece by piece and and spread over an entire group of fish. It's on your shoulder, you swing it around, and you throw it. And when that net comes out, it opens up. And the idea is that you have thrown it over where a bunch of fish are, and wherever that net lands, you pull it, the net closes, and you've got the fish. But there was a third way to fish. And it was the mother of all catching fish in that time. But it was limited to when fish were in shallow water. But if the fish were in shallow water, there was nothing that can compare to using what was called a drag net. A drag net was a, a long, long net that had floats, floating things on the top, 
and heavy weights on the bottom. So you kind of you kind of have a someone on the end of the, the the net. You have several people all along the net. Let's say that plant right there, and and we'll put this drag net. Now this would go for hundreds of yards. It'd be off the shore, hundreds of yards, and so that would be the end. And you'd have to have a lot of people to help you with a drag net. And so you know. Now we've got several people that we're going to start pulling. This is the beach. That's the shallow water. We're going to pull this net up. Can you see it? Coming in, that net's like a wall of net. All right? Billy and Tracy are getting caught in this net. Billy, the other Billy's getting caught. Ed and Bonnie are getting caught. In fact, everybody in this section, if I go all the way to the back and go up on the beach, everybody is getting caught by this net because it's just a wall of net. Nobody's getting out. Now, what's, what's bad is if there's just not fish in the shallow water, it's worthless to do all that work and pull up a net. But if there's fish in the shallow water, you cannot beat this drag net and everything comes up. M.S. Mills says this parable's purpose is to teach that the kingdom of heaven affects all men as it will etern- as, uh, eternally separate the wicked from the righteous. And what's fascinating about this is what the net is. The net is the gospel of the kingdom. The one integrating factor that will affect all men more than any other factor is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person at the judgment will account for what they did with Jesus Christ. And so the net is the gospel of the kingdom. And the net is pulling all people up onto the beach. Jesus told Peter, who was a professional fisherman, that you're going to leave your fishing career, but you're going to take on a new one. You're going to become a fisher of men and not fish. You know, we think about the gospel and how it relates to people as the gospel is lived out, the grace of God is lived out, as the good news of Jesus is told by us. Sometimes the gospel is kind of like angling, isn't it? I mean, we meet somebody, we begin to talk with them, and we find out that these people really are trying to figure out what it is to have a relationship with God. Maybe they've put together this kind of home chemistry set, off-the-internet kind of mixture religion like so many people are doing. Maybe they're in some classic type of religion. Maybe they have reduced Christianity to just a list of do's and don'ts But as we tell them the gospel, we say, look, God is a three times holy God. There is nothing that you can do to be compatible with him. That's why Jesus has done it all. He has come and he has taken away all of our sins on the cross. He has paid for those sins where they are no longer accounted to us. We just simply have to receive this gift of forgiveness. It's not what you do. And you know, there are times when people say, I never knew that. Of course Of course I want to put my trust in Jesus. So it's kind of like angling. Other people, like Jim and Mary Alice, are a great example. It's more like a cast net. You know, it's more like there's a a culture, there's a group of people, whether they're in northern Australia, I could never remember all those languages that you mentioned. And so, so, you know, Jim and Mary Alice are, are part of that team. They've got the cast net, and they want to throw that cast net over and speak the gospel to a culture and to see who God will put into that net. But in the end, and all that's happening right now, but in the end, 
It's going to be this other kind of net. There won't be any more angling. Won't be any more evangelism. Won't be any more missions. It's going to be the drag net. And everybody will be caught. So first is catching. Second is the fish, Jesus says, are not only caught, they are judged. They are distinguished one from another. Verse 47, once again, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake that caught, look at these words, all different kinds of fish. There is a distinguishing, a judging between different kinds of fish. That's the way the kingdom of God is. Now you would think that if a story about the kingdom of God and, and a net you think that it would go something like this. Jesus is throwing the net of the gospel into the world and, and there's only going to be Christians in it. That's not the point at all of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, no, there's going to be good fish as they're identified in Jesus' explanation of this parable and there's going to be bad fish. That is true of the world. That is true of the church. I mean, the question is, who let these croakers and hardtails into the church? Why are the tares among the wheat? If you were here earlier, you remember the parable of the weeds among the wheat, and they are growing there together. The servants say, well, don't, don't, shouldn't we just go jerk out those weeds now? No, no, let them grow side by side. Let's wait until the end, until the harvest to separate the wheat from the chaff. Incidentally, so therefore, don't be looking for a perfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, it's not going to happen. Don't look for a perfect neighborhood. Don't look for a perfect anything in a fallen world because it's all mixed. And last time I checked, Christians didn't always act great either. Always. But I'd like to not necessarily focus on the croakers and the hardtails for a minute. I'd like for us to think about those people throughout the world right now who are coming to Christ. And I would like to think of it in terms of the gospel going forward, whether it's angling or cultural cast netting, in the backdrop of that net that is moving Toward the shore. There is, at this moment, still time for many people to turn into good fish. There's not one person that wasn't born a croaker into this world. There's none righteous. No, not one. John Calvin stated that the role of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible, meaning that, that God has people by the millions. You, you go to Revelation 20, you see that multitude that no one can count from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. That God has millions of people that as the gospel goes, they will be ready. And right now we can't see them. It's, it's invisible. But the gospel will go forward and though that invisible church will become visible. In fact, one of the great things about the, the theological perspective that this church holds, which is called Reformed Theology, is that we do not put the emphasis on our persuasion. 
the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not our persuasion. Now, we want to persuade men. We want to be as persuasive as possible. But at the end of the day, when it comes to who's becoming a good fish and who's not, it's not going to be on our power. At the end of the day, it is not a matter of when and if people will turn when they hear and see the gospel. It is a matter of when and how many all over the world right now, at this, in this very day, people are turning to Christ. People are being born anew. They are being forgiven. They finally have heard and understood the gospel. And they are coming into eternal life. And that net continues to move. So we have catching. The dragnet catches everybody. We have judging. When they get to the beach... There will be different kinds. And then finally, and the most devastating part of this text, is the sorting. Verse 48, when the net was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And then they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets. But they flung away, threw away the bad. The shore... The beach is the final judgment. That's what it is. Everything's moving toward that shore. And the net is getting more and more full as the water is getting more and more shallow. One scholar states the key, this is the key to understanding the point of Jesus' parable. Please hear this and concentrate carefully on what I'm about to tell you read to you. The fish only have one direction in which to move. They can swim away from the net, but only moving closer to the beach. You never, he goes on to say, you never get around the voice of God. You never escape. You only delay. Everything is moving irrevocably toward the beach. Not one fish will be missing. As people are in contact with the gospel, as their fins brush against that net, even if they move away, the sad fact of the matter is they're moving toward the beach and the net is right behind them. This is a devastating parable of this powerful moment of Jesus' return and the judgment that comes. You see, the kingdom of God does not come and hit us over the head, does it? The kingdom of God really is like a, a sower that went out to sow. And, and, you know, some people didn't want that at all. And it didn't spring up. And others kind of did. But then they decided they didn't. And, you know, you think, man, this is the gospel. Seem like it ought to be 100% effective. No, 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 no. God, it, it, it doesn't beat you over the head. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. It, it comes quietly. And yes, the kingdom of God is like leaven and bread. It's working in people's lives. And it's growing, the kingdom of God. It's, it's unfolding, but it's unfolding on God's timetable and not ours. And it's growing right now. But the day is coming and there will be a sorting. And the croakers and the hardtails will be sorted. And what this text says that those who have not put their trust in Jesus will be thrown. Look at verse 49. 
Jesus interprets his parable. These are not my words, dear flock. These are the words of the Son of God who is going to return. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. The angels, we learn, will do the sorting and the flinging and there will not be any hesitation and they will not misread any fish. The stage is set right now for swift and final judgment. But up until now, that dragnet has not hit the beach. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined to die once and then face the judgment. And in Revelation 20.11, if you'd like to turn there, it's what's called the great white throne. It's the, the moment of this judgment. It's, it's breathtaking in its scope. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for earth and sky. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. And then Hades and death were thrown into the lake of fire. That's a good thing. The lake of fire is the second death, the final. And here's verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what Jesus is talking about in verse 49. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is separation eternally from the love of God. Hell is constant burning, wailing, and torment. And hell is the truth seen too late. I am convinced that many churches, maybe most, in 2011 would not like to have Jesus Christ preach in their pulpits. Because Jesus Christ himself preached on the approaching judgment as much as any other subject that he himself preached on. And why did Jesus preach on the approaching judgment, the catching, the judging, and the sorting? I'll tell you why he did it. He did it so that people could understand reality and quit living in their relativistic dream world. That they could actually be warned of the actual truth about that final moment and what that would look like. In other words, he wanted people to turn to him and not be flung in the judgment. You know, today, there are so many people 
that are offended. We've got lots of people on the internet, in the world internet, radio land, whatever you call it, the cloud. Somebody said I'd be edgy and cool if I said cloud. Um, So the cloud, I guarantee you, maybe somebody here, and it's okay, I want you to know, I, I don't mean this in a combative way, maybe somebody here is deeply offended that I would preach on hell. Maybe there's somebody out in radio land right now who is deeply offended that I would actually have the temerity to preach the parable of the dragnet just as Jesus preached it himself. Yes to preaching on heaven. Yes to books on heaven. No to preaching on hell. Please help me. And I say this with all due respect. If nobody's ever seen heaven and nobody's ever seen hell, I mean really seen it in toto, why is it that heaven exists and hell does not? Why is it that, that, that we're selective about that? Yes to preaching on angels. Buy them in the Hallmark store every day. No to preaching on demons. Why is it that since angels are, demons rather, are fallen angels, why is it that we can believe in angels but we don't believe in demons? Why would we believe in a place called heaven and not believe in a place called hell? It's interesting, isn't it, how selective we become? It's interesting that we want to have kind of smiley face Christianity that has no place for for Jesus' parable of the dragnet and no place for many of his other parables. The rich man and Lazarus being one of the, the primary ones. Solomon Stoddard was probably the greatest forerunner to what was called the Great Awakening in the 1700s. Solomon Stoddard happened to be the the grandfather of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was the the colonial, the kind of American colonial leader of the First Great Awakening. And Solomon Stoddard in the 1720s wrote these words to his fellow ministers. He wrote, quote, Many men are in a deep sleep and they flatter themselves as if there were no hell, or at least that God would not deal so harshly with them as to damn them. Ministers must give them no rest in such a condition. They must pull them as brands out of the burning. You can look at my face and see that it is not with emotional joy that I preach Jesus' parable of the dragnet. In fact, I'm thinking of a person right now, right now, faces in my mind that I'm not sure where they stand. That's close to me. That I'm not sure where they stand with Jesus. It is not joyful to preach about the judgment that is sure to come, but I'll tell you what is a joy. It is joy, however, to see people avoid the judgment. And to enter eternal life. And I tell you a great comfort. A great comfort is to know that this same Jesus who preached, quote, the fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth is the same one who stretched out his arms on the cross and was nailed to the cross to take our sin and the punishment that we deserve, our hell, in our place. He is the same one who opens his arm to any who would come to him and lay down their attempts at religion, their attempts at being holy like God, 
and simply receive this gift. It says in verse 49 that the righteous are saved from the fiery furnace. The righteous. And so we we read the word, the righteous, and we have to ask ourselves, who are those people? Am I one of those people? How righteous do you have to be? What is the acceptable level of righteousness that God will accept on the last day? It's a good question, isn't it, in light of this parable? The answer is only perfect righteousness. In fact, only righteousness equal to the righteousness of God Himself. You see, here's the bad news for me and for you. There is none righteous. There is no, no, not one. And here is the good news, is that Jesus Christ, through the life, perfect, righteous life He lived, through the death He died in our place that we deserved, through raising from the dead and being the risen and reigning Christ, alive and able to give new life, forgiveness to all, also supplies the, the righteousness that we need to be acceptable to Jesus. At the end of the days. Romans 3, 21 and 22. If you will turn there, please. I'd love for you to see these words as well as hear them. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now, a righteousness from God. Stop right there. That is a very important sentence. Not righteousness that's pleasing to God. A righteousness from from God, God's righteousness. But now, 321 of Romans, a righteousness from God apart from the law, apart from our works, which, to which, which has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Meaning, we don't have the righteousness, we'll never be able to gain the righteousness, but the righteousness that's from God will simply be given to us simply by faith. By putting our trust in what Jesus has done in His perfect life and in the cross and in the empty tomb, all of that is given to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, right? God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, to take our sins, that we might become, you ready for this? The righteousness of God in him. That's amazing. Joseph, we, the righteousness of God? No way. And I know me better than y'all know me. I'm telling you, there's no way. Yes, it's true. I've believed. I've turned away from everything that is called religion and I've put my trust in Jesus alone and the righteousness of God has come to me. And if you have done the same, I want you to know when God looks at you, He will look at you and see the righteousness of Jesus Christ and accept you every single time. That is called the gospel. That is too wonderful. I woke up this morning under the smiles of God. How about you? And it wasn't because I was better than anybody. It was because I have the righteousness of God that comes through faith 
to all who believe, and I have believed. Hallelujah. The net is heading toward the beach. And all I can say to you, to be faithful to this text, is come to Jesus now. Don't wait. Come to Jesus now. Look, nobody's asking you to trade religions here. <laughs> nobody's asking you to shop religions, trade religions. This is not based on what you can do. This is not based on religious observance. This is based on what has already been done. It is finished, it is paid in full, and it is a gift. Nobody's trying to give you a new list. In fact, there are people here and people listening on the Internet right now who have rejected religion, and I am right there with them because they have tried to work their list, and it's absolutely crushing them, and they wake up every morning and they realize that they are still not acceptable before a holy God because they can't get it all done, and they can't. And that is exactly beautiful discernment. And they refuse to be handed by some Christian a, a, a substitute list. And I don't blame them. If that's what you think Christianity is today, you're wrong. We don't want to give you a new list. It is finished. The list is checked from top to bottom. It is finished. It is received. And so will you be if you put your faith and what Jesus has finished on the cross. Just come to Him and receive. You know, there are many of us who have known Christ for years. And I do believe that it would be important in closing to say that if the gospel the good news of Jesus, if the gospel is the one transcendent and integrating factor over all men from the first one to the last one, if the gospel is the net, then it would be very important, if that's how important the gospel is, for we who believe to actually live in light of that gospel. And there's two things I'd like for you to consider today in living in light of that gospel. The first is, is that you as a believer would believe that gospel. That you would believe that your sins, your sins have been paid for and are not held against you by God. And that whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever it is that you're struggling with, that you would quit running from God. That you would quit trying to tell God you're going to clean it up enough for Him to like you again. That is not the gospel. You're going to quit blaming everybody else. If you believe that the righteousness of God Himself comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe and you believe... Now, let me tell you something. Wherever you are, you can turn and run into the arms of your Father. You can repent, and He will forgive you and receive you every time. One of the greatest tricks of our enemy is to get us to try to forget the gospel as believers. Secondly, is we need to really think, as that net is the integrating factor of all men, how it is 
that we live in light of the gospel in showing and telling it to the world who needs it. Look, most people aren't atheists because they've sat down and really thought hard about it. Most people in our southern culture who are atheists are atheists because Christians have messed them over. And they don't want to be one of those. We need to repent. And we need to, with humility and love, engage the people in our lives. Starting in our own families. And in our neighborhoods. And show and tell the gospel. We need to be a part of fishing for men. Last words. While there is still time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel. There is none righteous. No, not one. If you've never put your trust in what Jesus has done, and you see it, God's opened your eyes to this. You want forgiveness. You want the completed work of Jesus, the very righteousness of God. You pray with me, Lord, I see it. I'm so grateful. I, I didn't realize this. I've, I've always pushed back against this, but now I see what it really is. It's a gift. And I want to turn away from everything I've called religion, everything I've called Christianity. Lord, I, I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you've done in your life and in your death and in your resurrection. Thank you that even now I'm forgiven. Even now, you've, you've, you've birthed me into a, a new life with you. Oh, Lord, would you keep me close to this grace that I'm experiencing even now? And would you help me to show and tell the gospel and always fish for men? Lord, for those of us who've walked with you, would you help us to believe the gospel again? Would you help us lay down the power of the shame? Would you help us lay down the blaming and the fault-finding and not admitting our own dark hearts? Would you help us to admit that we've been running from you even though we've called it so many other things? And even now, would you cause us to see that it's still finished and all there for us. Would you dare to repent and turn to God that on the basis of the gospel, your sins, my sins, might be wiped out and times of refreshing might come from the Lord. And, O oh Lord, we pray that you would do this in our lives, not only today, but tomorrow. And we pray, Lord, as people watch that they would see sinners who are redeemed, who are being changed. And Lord, we pray that many, even in this area, thousands, even through this church, would eat and live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.